Hello and welcome back to Talk and Chop, the official podcast of the FSU and Florida Flambeau, which is Florida State's official student newspaper. Uh, my name is Logan Grutchfield. As usual, I am hosting this episode of Talk and Chop, and today I am joined by my editor in the sports section, Thomas Martinez. Thomas, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be back on the program. Uh, Thomas, long time, long time friend of the pod frequent caller um and i i think we've definitely got a lot to feel good about after last night's uh uh fsu basketball game um it was a little it had been 16 days since fsu's last game i know that after their last game uh there had been some comments from coach ham about you know what direction he might go with the team moving forward and any concerns, I think, that, you know, there might have been, have been at least delayed a little bit by last night's margin, 105 to 73. It was um, FSU's highest shooting percentage in since 2000 for field goals. Um, and just uh, unbelievable performance from seemingly everyone on the team. Thomas, what are your, what are your initial reactions there? Well, any time that you put up triple digits in college basketball, let alone the ACC, um, you're going to win most of the time. Florida State, I mean, they shot 70% from the field. They shot 67% from three-point range, which is absurd. Um, I mean, if you're shooting three-pointers unguarded in practice, you know, you're probably going to make somewhere between 80 and 90% if you're a good shooter. So to make 67% in a game versus North Carolina State, who isn't necessarily a bad team, that was insane. And again, you said it. It was a 16-day layoff, and Florida State they just came guns a-blazing. They were also 100% from the free throw line. And, you know, you learned a few things about this group. Um, Florida State now 7-2 and two on the season. But there were definitely a lot of question marks about this group, um, mostly about the depth of this team. Because when we talk about a Leonard Hamilton coach team, you know, we oftentimes talk about a rotation that goes from 10 to 12 guys. Well, this season, we hadn't really been um, receiving those types of contributions from the bench players. And, you know, somebody who definitely stood out last night was Raekwon Evans, who ended up starting last night because Scotty Barnes, mm -hmm. um, he had a minor injury. And even though Scotty did play in the game, Raekwon Evans was the star of the game. I mean, he put up 24 points and six rebounds in 19 minutes. So I think, again, I've said it earlier on, I think Florida State, uh, you learned a lot about them last night. Oh, 100%. And I'm just, you know, looking at this stat sheet, Raekwon Evans, 24 points, most of his career. And then Nathaniel Jack, even 18 points in 12 minutes. Yep. Um, Scotty Barnes still put up 11 points on the bench and he did leave in the second half, I believe. Well, like he had that, like he turned his ankle or something like that. Um, and then still, I mean, just, you know, going, you know, look, it looks like just a major, major night for basically everyone on this roster. So I would say if you were an FSU fan, especially coming off, I think, what did we see over winter break? We saw, a loss to UCF that I really think stunned a lot of people. Um, and then a, a victory over Gardner-Webb that I, I don't know that would have been by the same margin that FSU fans might have expected. And then a tough loss to Clemson. And then with, you know, three games that were postponed, just a 16-day period. Um, 
I was talking to uh, Brooke Wyckoff, the coach of the women's basketball team, and she was just saying to keep everybody focused for that long when you don't have anything going on is 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 very difficult. And, and again, these are collegiate athletes; they're really at the peak of their game. But still, it's easy to kind of get led astray mentally. And for these guys to come out and respond the way that they did, um, just I, I think what really put it in perspective for me, I read the comments from. Uh, Kevin Keats after the game, the North Carolina state head coach. And he, he was just blown away. Like, I mean, to the, to, to the point where he's like dropping profanities in the, um, in the post game interview, he was just like, this was just a, an onslaught, it, which it really was. Um, you know, despite that uh, on the other side of the coin, uh, coach ham, obviously happy with the outcome, but he said he still wasn't very happy with uh, the defensive performance of FSU and I know in the game against UCF there was definitely it seemed like those guards that UCF had were just running wild all over all over FSU um we haven't really seen like a major you know defensive standout game I don't I don't know for FSU thus far um Thomas what what are your thoughts there well you know against NC State NC State they shot 42 percent from three they shot 44 percent from the field which a lot of the times is going to win you basketball games in the ACC. Um, Florida State just happened to be out of their minds last night. I, yeah. It doesn't seem like there was a team in the country that could have stopped Florida State. Um, they were on a team on a mission. And you mentioned the UCF game. I think that Florida State, the way that they came out and played last night, reminded me a lot of how UCF played when they played against Florida State. Because UCF, I don't know if you remember – but they also had something like a two-week uh, delay between games because of COVID. And then they came into Tallahassee, and they shot 50% from the field, 47% from three. They missed three free throws, and they essentially dominated Florida State. You mentioned the defensive lapses. Um, Hamilton, he, he talked about switching, um, switching, switching from the switching system because um, Florida State, obviously, yeah. they play a help man defense, and – they switch one through five. So if somebody sets a pick, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's switching. You're not staying on the same player defensively. Um, it wasn't working out in games like UCF. Players were just easily getting to the rim. Um, it wasn't as big of a problem last night against the Wolfpack, um, but it's still something that you have to monitor. There's a lot of good offenses in the ACC. And, um, you know, Florida State, they did lose a few good rim protectors or not necessarily rim protectors, but defensive players last year, obviously a check left the program, or I think he ran out of eligibility because he was a senior um, Patrick Williams, who's arguably the best defender on last year's team. You know, now he's a starter for the Chicago bulls. That says a lot of, you know, where this Florida state program it is. Volumes, yeah. It really does. Um, and all, I mean, Devin Vassell, not as big of a deal, but also he's, he's already great defensively in the NBA. Um, But yeah, this team so far, if there's one thing that I would say um, sets them apart from the teams that we've seen, because I'm a, I'm a junior at Florida state, Um, Florida state, you know, the basketball program has been elite since I've been here. Um, But I think the defense is definitely not at the level, you know, that it's been in the last two years. And, you know, you kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, But I think they, I think they have time to turn it around, maybe not be as elite as they were a year ago, but definitely good enough to make them a top four team in the ACC. 
Oh, certainly, certainly. I think that, you know, I, I was really surprised. I know we're dealing with an incredibly small sample size here, but that FSU's points per game was higher against um, ACC opponents at this point. Again, we're talking about three, four games, you know, so this doesn't really isn't indicative of a whole lot. But, um, you know, including the UNF game where FSU smoked UNF, their points per game is still lower in a non-conference games than it is in, in, in conference. So I, I think that, you know, it's, it's obvious that, you know, the coach ham led offense um, is just at least performing very well. Um, even though maybe coming into this game, I don't know that obviously this isn't, if FSU is going to have a shooting performance like this every single game, you know, you might as well call the NCAA. Tournament right. At this point. <laughs> yeah. But um, you, you just you just like end the season. But um, I, I mean, before this game, I, I don't recall their shooting being, you know, totally, totally lights out. But um, I, I mean, even if this, you know, like just a unbelievable, you know, again, best field goal shooting percentage in 20, 21 years for this team. Um, most points against an ACC team since 2017 against Clemson. Um, even if a game like this is obviously kind of an outlier for FSU, um, I, I, I think this is definitely a good way to just keep the momentum going um, against North Carolina, which would be a big game on Saturday. Now, we did get news from North Carolina State that their upcoming game against Georgia Tech was canceled due to a recent positive test, like from today. Um, so that is a little bit troubling. I will say, um, but I, I, I think the momentum at least is what FSU can really rely on. And I'm looking at right now Nathaniel Jack's comments after the game. And he was just saying that they were so, they had that really frustrating loss to Clemson and then couldn't play for 15 days. And he said it left a bad, just a bad taste in their mouths. Like having to think about that loss for that long. I mean, I think it was almost, you know, I, I'd like to hear what you think, Thomas, but just like a that pent up frustration just let loose. So, it, you know, I don't know that they'll have as much going into a future game, but it was good to kind of have a, a cathartic victory like this. I think, I think it benefited them greatly, not necessarily there being a COVID positive test in the program, but the fact that they had so much time to reflect on that loss um, I remember when they lost to UCF, um, MJ Walker said that he thought it was arguably the best thing that could happen to the program at that time um, because they'd just been kind of coasting. I think it was something like 26 straight home wins. Um, Florida State, yeah. Florida State's lost two home games in the last three years. They lost to Duke at the buzzer and they lost to UCF kind of inexplicably. Um, but I think... I think against NC State, they showed the type of team that they could be. They they share the ball well. Um, they have arguably one of best the one of the best uh, point guards in the nation in Scotty Barnes. They have somebody in MJ Walker who could create his shot better than arguably anybody in the ACC. Um, last night he put up 19 points. It seems like he's definitely been the most consistent player for the Seminoles this season. Um, in years past, we've seen him, we've seen him kind of take over at the end of games. We saw it at Notre Dame last year. We saw it at Miami last year. Um, but they're they're still coming together. They're still coming together. 
Um, and it was always going to be too early to judge them, regardless of if they lost to UCF or Clemson. And Clemson's a good team. Florida State lost at Clemson last year. Winning against any team in the ACC is on the road is very difficult. Um, even Absolutely. Yeah, even last year, Florida State was struggling in almost every ACC um, game. You'd have to be an all-time great program to be able to just, you know, go into the backyard of every team in the ACC and just destroy them. That just does not happen. And I understand um, that across the ACC and across the country and in the world, you know, we're not having too many spectators at sporting events. It's either 25%, um, maybe 10%, or there's just no fans in the crowd. So that home court advantage definitely dissipates. Um, but that, I mean, it's still difficult to win on the road. Um, they get UNC at home on Saturday. Um, it's not the best UNC team. Um, last, I, I don't think they're as bad as they were last year. I think last year was probably the worst team that Roy Williams has had at UNC maybe ever, um, maybe in a decade. I think a decade ago they had um, – I'd have to look at it, but I think they had another team that didn't make the tournament. Um, they have a few guys on their team. Garrison Brooks is going to be a very good player. Um, Armando Backett, who's averaging 11 points a game, eight rebounds. Um, they're definitely a tall team that's going to be able to match up well against Florida State. So mm-hmm. I'm excited for that game. Um, but I think Florida State's still going to be ready just because they won one game. I don't think that motivation is going to be any any less. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I want to go back to one, one uh, comment that you raised, and that was talking about just the hype of the UNC team. And I know FSU is constantly one of the – just biggest teams in um, in the ACC for sure, um, in the NCAA, probably in the conversation as well. I mean, after all, we're talking about Leonard Hamilton's team. This is a guy who uh, wouldn't call back a kid who was 5'11 that called him during a press conference. So, um, and I know in last night's game against NC State, they were missing um, a couple of their bigger guys, I think, um, and that obviously um, – Coach Kevin Keats said as much there. Um, so, I mean, looking at, you know, maybe some of the games played against some of these other teams, was FSU, would you say that they were benefiting from a major height disparity? And, I mean, or not major necessarily. It's not like, you know, I'm walking out there. I'm 5'8". But, um, you know, I mean, would you say that they had an outsized benefit from that? And how might that uh, factor into the UNC game? I wouldn't say an outsized benefit, but Florida State, they've consistently been one of the tallest teams in the country over the last five years. I mean, that's how they beat you defensively. Um, When Florida State was going against that Duke team that had Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, you know, they they were putting um, Chris Kumaji, they were putting Fiondu Cavangeli on Zion Williamson, and they shut him down pretty well, regardless of the fact that Duke did beat Florida State on both occasions that season, that just kind of speaks to, I don't care who you have offensively in the ACC, either if they're on the wing or mm-hmm. if they're center power forward, um, Florida State's always going to have the bodies to go against those types of players. Um, and again, UNC, UNC is definitely tall this season and Florida State's um, interior defense is definitely lacking compared to previous years, but I don't think that means that it's necessarily bad. Every team has its weaknesses, Mm -hmm. and that just happens to be Florida State's defense. And part of that is because of the defensive system that they run. 
Um, I know that Leonard Hamilton doesn't like to change up the way that his teams play too often. He kind of, you know, goes by that mantra of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Florida State, I think they're going to stick to their true character against North Carolina. Um, you're going to see a lot of switching. You're going to see a lot of man defense. And Florida State has shooters. Um, I'm a Miami Heat fan. When when Hassan Whiteside left to Portland, he was so excited about being on the Trailblazers, and he said, we got shooters. Little did he know that yeah. he was leaving a team that now has arguably one of the best shooters in the NBA in Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, a bunch of guys. Listen, that's besides the point, but it just reminded me yeah. of Florida State. Florida State has shooters, Wyatt Wilkes, um, Scotty Barnes, MJ Walker, Anthony Polite. You go down the list, um, Calhoun, there are a lot of players on this roster that, you know, if one of them goes off in a game, then that just, it could throw off the opposing team's defense. Um, So I'm definitely confident in Florida State's ability to, you know, create offensive chemistry against North Carolina. Um, I think it's going to be a good game, but I'm, if I'm a Seminole fan, I'm definitely confident. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to kind of now take this conversation to kind of zoom out a little bit. I was talking to, I, I, I chatted with, um, uh, Brooke Wyckoff today, the head coach for the women's team. And I was talking to, um, another staffer and, and he mentioned that the, a couple of women's teams had actually canceled their season. And I was, I, I just, I'm thinking just with the sheer number, it was what, three games that were canceled um, in the lead up to this. I would think that, I, I don't think that there's a big risk. I don't want to sound like I, I'm being, you, you know, spouting doom and gloom here or anything like that. But um, just that and then taken in in tandem with the news that we got from NC State, is there any scenario that you can envision? I mean, unless you just had a COVID, like, you know, mushroom, massive outbreak, um, you, you know, where it's completely unsustainable to have a season. But I, I was talking to this guy and he said that part of the reason that Virginia had canceled their women's basketball season because they had had like four straight cancellations. Um, I mean – is there any worst case scenario that you might see where something like that could happen? Hopefully not to FSU or to any team, quite frankly, but do you see anything like that possibly occur? I think it's a different situation. Um, even between men's and women's basketball, men's basketball traditionally is a much larger revenue sport to the universities in the ACC Absolutely. And March Madness is the most profitable event of the year, um, every year, for the NCAA. So I think without a doubt, March Madness is going to happen this year, um, you know, regardless of how many cancellations there are. And as it goes for the ACC, you mentioned it, Florida State's already had three cancellations. I think if it gets any worse, it being worse would be another cancellation. But a fourth cancellation I don't think it means um, the end of the season for Florida State at all because of the money involved. And mm-hmm. and that creates a whole other discussion um, about the morality of sending these players out in the middle of a pandemic and, not, and them not getting paid um, to make money essentially for their universities that they get none of. Um, 
we're in January right now, January, this is supposed to be kind of like the peak of the biggest surge of this pandemic. Um, obviously with the vaccines mm-hmm. rolling out and the anticipation that the majority of the US population will get vaccinated by the end of, I don't know, the second or third quarter of this year. It seems that after this month and maybe February, we're gonna be reaching the tail end of this pandemic. Um, I think Florida State's gonna play their season. How's that gonna look? I don't know. Do they play 20 games? I, I don't know. Uh-huh. I, I haven't looked into um, whether there's gonna be an ACC tournament this year for basketball. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I'd have to double check that. But I think Florida State, I think the worst case scenario, um, you know you know what the worst case scenario is. We saw what the worst case scenario is. Keontae Johnson, um, you know, people yeah. are saying that he, he had myocarditis, which is um, a long-term effect that a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of, but um, a percentage of young people who get coronavirus end up getting, which is the inflammation of the heart. Mm-hmm. And we saw him collapse on the floor against FSU, he was in a medically induced coma. Um, So when I think of the worst case scenario, I don't think necessarily of cancellations. Um, I think of what can come from those cancellations, which is positive tests that end up, you know, for maybe one or two players, um, just creating a health crisis in their life. Um, But I I think this season's going to go on. You make it yeah, you really do make a great point there. Um, I, I think it just putting everything in perspective, you know, I, I, we're talking about cancellations because of a, a positive test or whatever. I mean, these are still, you know, athletes, I mean, still in peak physical shape, but this is not a, you know, this isn't like a virus that's just screwing around, you know. So I, I think you really do make a good point there. I mean, that these are real, you know, Keontae Johnson, the um, – that situation is, is truly, I think you make a great point, the worst case scenario, and that these are still players that even if they test positive for it, I mean, could still have really, really negative health, health outcomes that um, would come from it. And I, I think that, you know, what we saw, you know, obviously with the cancellation of the NCAA tournament um, and the cancellation of, of just so much from last year, I think that kind of the traumatic effect almost that that seems to have had on on some on a lot of players and programs um i think that this season the ncaa will probably just try to you know press through i mean they just successfully made it through a college football season so i would think that in some ways you know that's a a a proof of concept for you know how can we just make it through a, a season like this you know what kind of protocols can we have to just make this a little bit more manageable for everybody? And I would think football would be a little bit more complicated than basketball just to manage just because of the sheer number of people on rosters that are then in close contact with each other. And it's just, you know, logistically a lot, um, a lot more to manage. So I was thinking I could definitely chat a little bit about some of the new transfers that have come to FSU but first Thomas do you have any final thoughts on what we saw yesterday or the basketball team I think that I think it's going to take a little bit longer to fully judge what this team can become um you know we're just getting into ACC play I think the only formidable opponent that they've faced so far within the conference um I think it was Clemson 
Um, we'll see what this team becomes. I think they have a lot of talent. I think that when it's all said and done, I think Florida State's going to finish where they are right now. I think they're going to finish within the top five of the ACC. I don't know if they have what it takes to win the ACC tournament or to win the ACC regular season title to defend their championship. Um, but I can totally see this team being a sweet 16 or a lead eight team. I think that if you see players like Raekwon Evans, um, you know, if you see players like Nathaniel Jack stepping up and relieving some of the pressure off of, you know, the traditional starters for this group, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, this run of success continues for Leonard Hamilton. And it's going to continue. Um, it's definitely going to continue. Florida State, you know, we're about to go into football recruiting, talking about football recruiting. The basketball team right now has the number two recruiting class in the country in the class of 2021. Um, they have four guys coming in next year, one five-star, two four-stars, and a three-star. The only team above them is the University of Michigan, who has a former legend in Juwan Howard um, coaching that program, a former legend of that program. Um, so I think Florida State's mm -hmm. definitely here to stay. You look at the top teams in the ACC. UVA's won a championship recently. Duke has won a championship recently. UNC, Louisville. I think Florida State, you know, they're the next team in the ACC that's going to reach that mountaintop within the next decade if everything continues to go to plan. I think that's a – I love that outlook that you just gave there, Thomas. You know, if FSU could really just be kind of the um, next man up here, that would be – you know, in the ACC, I think that would be just fantastic. And, and before we move to football, there is one thing that I wanted to bring up. I saw that um, uh, Caleb Mills, who was a shooting guard at uh, the University of Houston, um, has decided to transfer to Florida State. Um, I know from the limited tape that I saw, I saw maybe a few minutes of just, you know, YouTube videos um, before we got going here. I mean, he, he just kind of looks like a scoring machine and, you know, just a very capable shooting guard. Um, really, I think just offensively could be a super, super dynamic player. Um, now playing in the AC, AAC, obviously there's some stalwart teams, but um you know, definitely coming to the ACC, I think, is a major step up in um, in, in that kind of in, in just the level of competition. Um, Thomas, I feel like I might be kind of springing this one on you here, but do you have any um, expectations as to how he might slot in to uh, Coach Ham's? Um, I haven't necessarily looked into what he has done so far, but I'll say this: you know. I, Bobby, Bobby Bowden used to say this, and he still says this. The, the best teams are the ones that get the best players. You know, the teams that win championships are the teams that get the best players. You know, coaching can only get you so far in any sport, um, whether it's football or basketball. Um, it's part of the reason why it's taken Leonard Hamilton 19 years, or for being more realistic, somewhere like 16 years to get Florida State to, you know, that elite status. And once they had that first season being considered elite, you know, it was that team with Jonathan Isaac, Terrence Mann, um, Phil Kofer. Once, once mm -hmm. recruits started to see that and started to gravitate, programs started getting five stars and started bringing in, you know, the top Juco players in the country like Calhoun this year and getting impact transfers. I mean, it's very, it's very different 
um, compared from football to basketball because basketball, you know, there's not as many roster spots. So if a big time team like Florida State, because Florida State has become a big time team in basketball, if a big time team comes calling to you, you know, you're not going to get as much competition usually. Um, So the fact that Florida State can essentially get impact players, whether it's from high school or whether it's through a transfer, I think it speaks to the state of where this program is right now and where they're going to continue to be for the next few years. Absolutely. And I I think part of the, you know, when we talk about landing talent, I I think that, you know, a significant amount of that credit just has to be given to just the talent identification process that like through FSU, I, I forget where, Coach Ham was talking about like Patrick Williams or um, like Devin Vassell or guys like that, and he said, "Oh, we are competing with like Presbyterian." That's for these guys specifically. Or Devin like, Vassell yeah, even... specifically. Devin Vassell was a three-star athlete. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he was ranked when Florida State offered him. I think Coach C Y Young. I think he convinced somebody to rank to rank Devin Vassell, and we saw where we saw who he became. I mean, he's now part of the rotation of the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And even some of the transfers that you know we've seen this year. I mean, Sadar Calhoun is having a pretty solid season thus far. Transferred from Missouri West Point. You know, I mean, just identifying you know where some of these guys are coming from. I, I think that they're kind of you know dusting off you know maybe a, a couple of hidden treasures like what you just mentioned with Devin Vassell. I mean, it's not like FSU is competing with, you know, Duke and Virginia or, or North Carolina or Kentucky, you know, for them, you know. So I, I think that it's definitely, I think, a process that kind of feeds on itself a little bit, you know, as you turn guys that might not be five-star athletes into playing like five-star athletes um, in college, you know, that's when you kind of start to, you know, breed more and more of higher ranked recruits coming to Florida State. So I, I think that just, you know, there's a lot to be opti- optimistic about going into the future, which is a great spot to be in. And I, I think, quite honestly, transitioning to football now, um, looking at some of these new recruits that FSU has landed, I'm most – I'm going to be honest, you know, Jamie Robinson and Brandon Moore, these two defensive backs, uh, Brandon Moore went to UCF, and then Jamie Robinson was at South Carolina, and um, both just transferred to Florida State. I am – I'm going to be honest. I really am excited about the potential that they could bring, you know, just to FSU's kind of past defense, because that was a, one of the units that I really had a hard time making out like what, who are these guys? Like you guys like Asante Samuel, who was just like unbelievable individually. And then as a whole, you know, the corners and safeties would just get gashed. I mean, in games where they're playing, like, I mean, again, against talented passers and talented receivers, like, you know, Malik Cunningham of Louisville, De'Eric King of Miami. It's not like they're playing, like, you know, it's not like they're letting just right. know, some but, but realistically, Jefferson County realistically, Florida State should out. be beating Malik Cunningham. They should be beating De'Eric King. I mean, this is a program that, that was starting Jalen Ramsey, yeah. that, you know, that was starting some guys who are now the best – yeah, they're now Just the best at their position ago. in the NFL. So the standard is definitely much higher. Mm-hmm. 
So that is a great point. But I think that just the steps that have been taken and obviously then Mackenzie Milton, I think is, as a massive addition, um, but I didn't want to, I know we talked about him last week, so I didn't want to be, you know, totally just beating the drum about McKenzie Milton over and over and over. But when I look at just, you know, some of these transfers that FSU has landed, I think that they all fit in very clear areas of need, I think, at FSU. Um, even Kair Thomas, the uh, defensive end that transferred from South Carolina as well. Um, I mean, we lost Corey Durden and Marvin Wilson, just, I think for that pass rush up front, he could definitely breathe some new life into that. But I I think that it's a testament just to coach Mike Norvell's just, I I guess what the vision that he has for this program. I mean, it was enough to sell Tamari and Terry and Marvin Wilson last year. Um, Now those results are obviously mixed, but I, I think just the, the story that he's able to sell, to high school recruits and also to uh, transfer prospects that are a little dissatisfied with their role at other universities is, is second to none. I think his ability to, to do that and really just make high impact signings for F- for a program like FSU that has history on their side. But I, I don't know that you could, that anyone would want to look at the years from 2017 to 2020 and think, wow, this is a program that, is going in the right direction. And I think he's done a fantastic job at just convincing these players that yes, there is a plan and we're moving forward. And we're yeah. I think Norvell's it. made the best out of the situation. Um, let's not fool ourselves. Florida state right now currently has the 30th ranked recruiting class in the country. If, if that continues Florida state, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, they're not going to contend anytime soon, but they were smart. You know, they knew that they couldn't get these kids on campus. You know, Mike Norbell said, he's said it repeatedly that his best recruiting um, tactic is just letting recruits see his team's practice. All right, this is how we practice. You know, we coach our players hard. It's a very organized program. You know, he lets his coaches coach. Um, and, you know, the players, the recruits, they see that and then they see, all right, this is the type of place that I want to be at. Well, when you're on Zoom meetings, you know, when you're FaceTiming players, you know, it's hard to gain that sense of trust, especially considering what you said, the fact that Florida State has been a mediocre program to a bad program for the last four years. Um, So I think the transfer portal was definitely huge. You know, they're not bringing in superstar players. Maybe Mackenzie Milton could be, you know, a college football superstar next year. He was definitely that in 2017 but he also mm-hmm. nearly lost his leg um so just the fact that he's playing again is yeah. remarkable um anything on top of that is just part of his incredible journey um but out of the eight guys that they've added so far from the transfer portal i think seven of them are going to be starters next year save dj williams from auburn i think florida state's ground game i think it's probably going to be just sean corbin um and Lord. And Lawrence Toafili leading that backfield. Um, Who knows? Maybe DJ Williams plays his way into, you know, the starting role, but it's definitely going to be a running back by committee type thing. I I think you're getting a lot of valuable players. Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson, who recorded multiple sacks for Georgia last year, you're adding guys who along, along the defensive line had to combine more sacks than, you know, FSU's defensive linemen last year. All of FSU's defensive linemen yeah. 
last year. Mm-hmm. So that should definitely, you know, bring a sense of calm to Florida State fans who were worried um, that they weren't going to have a pass rush this year. Because if you don't have a pass rush, you know, that, that in itself makes your secondary look bad. If, if Marvin Wilson played up to – if he had played yeah. up to his billing last year, if Joshua Kando had played up to his preseason hype last year, if Corey Durden balled out last year, if the defensive line was as good as they were in the fourth quarter versus North Carolina last year, if they played like that throughout all of last season, I don't think we would have been talking about how bad the secondary is because there's only so much that you could expect from your secondary when the opposing team's quarterback has five seconds to throw every single snap. Um, they're just going to get exhausted. Um, so, yeah, I'm very I'm very excited about the additions on that side of the ball. The fact that they haven't taken an offensive lineman, I think it's a mix of multiple things. One, that they probably haven't found um, a starting level left tackle that they'd like to start um, or that they'd like to give an offer to because um, mm-hmm. I think that's a position that they want to get. The other being um, that – they feel pretty good about what they have. The offensive line, it wasn't necessarily good this year, but toward the end of the year, they were starting four freshmen. And I don't think anybody was saying that the offensive line was a weak point of the team. Um, Maybe in some point when they were Mm -hmm. spread thin against teams like Pittsburgh, um, you know, you could argue that the offensive line looked terrible. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and Devontae Love Taylor getting injured didn't help. But he's coming back. Everybody's coming back from that offensive line. Plus, you're adding a Mm four-star offensive tackle in Rod Orr to that room. And I would argue that Alex Atkins, the offensive line coach, um, is he might be the most talented, um, you know, position coach on the team. Obviously, he doesn't have the track record of somebody like Odell Higgins. But, like, in terms of somebody who could end up being a head coach in the years to come, He's definitely near the top of that list when it comes to Florida State coaches. Um, the thing that worry, yeah, the thing that worries me certainly is the wide receiver room. You add Andrew Parchman, and and I guess we'll get into Florida State has two more spots left in this class, but I don't see an overflow of talent at the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. And even looking at parchments um i'm looking at his stats right now i mean it's just been a very up and down i i didn't follow his trajectory he didn't really have a quarterback this Kansas. year though but i yeah. mean that's true and it, i mean i don't know what kansas's quarterback situation looked like last year but he put up i mean over 800 receiving yards um seven touchdowns on the season which i mean I, i'm guessing kansas's quarterback was a little bit better than this year, but yeah. I mean, it's Kansas. So um, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, to any Jayhawks fans that might be listening to this program, <laughs> I apologize. But um, I, yeah, I, what you said about the just defensive ends, uh, Jermaine Johnson and, and um, Thomas. Um, gosh, what literally Kayer Thomas. Yes. Forgive me. Um, I, I do think that, yeah, all of these guys, fill very targeted roles with the exception of DJ Williams. But I, I think in part, I, I may, I might just be speculating here, but I think the fact that you look at, if you're prospective transfer, you look at guys like Deshaun Corbin who transferred from Texas A&M here and was arguably, I think his usage usage fluctuated a little bit this season. 
but I would say he was probably the most successful out of the three-headed running back situation that FSU had. And then you also look at somebody like Devontae Love-Taylor, who, I mean, it's not like the FSU offensive line, you know, is producing Hall of Famers or anything here, but um, who definitely stepped up and was able to put together a really just significant role. Um, you know, I would say that this is like, if you're a transfer, you're like, okay, you could very easily be get getting thrown right into it. So um, I'm, I think that that was just a, a positive development for a team that, you know, was a little bit, was very up and down last season. And I would hope that these guys would be able to offer some of what McKenzie Milton said he was hoping to offer to a program like this with just a lot of youth, a lot of, like, like you said, four freshmen on the offensive line, all of these position groups, just very, very young, um, be able to offer just a little bit of, you know, veteran leadership or just veteran, veteran presence as a team that, as young as as young as FSU is, kind of finds its identity and might still go through some growing pains. I, I yeah, I think they'll definitely go through growing pains, but I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. This is this isn't a class that is supposed to you know set you up to win a national championship. This is the class that's supposed to you know set you up to win ball games that will get the type of recruits that you want to win a national championship. So I think this is definitely, you know, if not phase one, phase two of the rebuild. And I'm saying that because 70 to 80 percent of the players on next year's roster will be players that Mike Norvell recruited to Florida State, which I think is remarkable. Um, the, the fact that so many players have left the program. Mm-hmm. A lot of people talk about what happened to Florida State's 2018 recruiting class. There's pretty much I mean, I, they didn't really get any notable players to come out of that class. So when, when you have, you know, multiple years where yeah. you miss um, in recruiting, it puts you where you are now, a team that finished three and six last year. Um, one of the things that I'm most encouraged about is the fact that they're potentially going to get a full offseason of strength and conditioning because last year, you know, they only got through – they got through um, – they got through winter – and they got through their first three spring practices and then everything shut down and players didn't return to Tallahassee for another three months. And even then it was for voluntary workouts. It wasn't every player coming back. Um, so now you're going to have your full roster back. They're going to have their first, they're going to have their first tour of duty tomorrow, which is, you know, throughout the winter they do, I don't know if they do like 10 of those, but it's like these, high intensity workouts for pretty much everybody in the program from, you know, the freshman to every single position coach is kind of, you know, helping with this agility type training. It's almost like military type training. Um, So you're going to be able to get through those again, very soon leading up to spring practice. Um, So I think that in itself, the ability to give a coaching staff and a coach who, you know, succeeded at his previous stop to give him a full chance to have a regular off season mm-hmm. or as regular of an off season as you can get now, as you know, we definitely lean toward being near the end of this pandemic. Um, I think that in itself is encouraging. And again, I said it before. Um, I think you have the players or you will have the players on this roster that will maybe not lead to encouraging results this season. You know, maybe, it could win seven games next season, or, you know, maybe it'll be like, 
maybe it'll be seven wins, but maybe it'll be with a win versus Notre Dame or a win versus Miami, something that gets you going into next offseason with even more optimism than there is right now. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think seven wins with an exclamation point victory like that, like you just mentioned, um, is would be fantastic. Um, and again, I mean, the fact that we're having to say that's fantastic kind of speaks for itself, but, um, you know, it's still for, for, I mean, you take what you can get. And I remember before this season started, I was worried that this would just be a a catastrophic year for, for FSU. Um, and I mean, three and six, it certainly wasn't a great year, but I, I think that it's the three and six record doesn't really reflect obviously the full scope of everything that happened this season. And I honestly think that this team you know, shouldn't be judged solely based off of that. I think just that the kind of the victories that FSU's picked up in the off season here, I was very worried last before last season, just like, is, is FSU going to be just totally, totally behind the eight ball recruiting wise. And then, you know, I I think the worst case scenario, you know, you wouldn't want to see FSU turn into like a a Michigan or a Texas. Um, But um I really think that this is a major, major step in the right direction. And just looking at these recruits, they're coming from solid schools. They put up solid um, track records at the schools that they were at. I think that um, Florida State fans certainly have a lot to be optimistic about. Um, Thomas, any final thoughts from you on football, basketball, anything well, in the FSU? I think Florida world? State, they have two or three slots left in this class. They have two guys, Taiwan Malone, four-star defensive tackle from New Jersey, the number one player from New Jersey, who's going to be making a decision soon. It's going to be between Florida State, Texas A&M, and Ole Miss, most likely. Destin Destin Hill, four-star receiver from Louisiana, who's essentially deciding between Florida State and Ole Miss. Um, So we're going to get those two decisions in soon. Maybe Florida State also adds an offensive lineman, like we talked about. but other than that, when it comes to football recruiting, you're in the state of Florida. Um, it's it's very hard. It's very hard to be as bad as Florida State has been over the last three years when you're one of the big three schools in the state of Florida. Um, you know, there's guys who are three stars in Miami who could start, you know, at the majority of power five programs in the country. Um, the, the recruiting or the, the options that you have in the state of Florida is ridiculous. Um, let's say that a school like UF takes a step back next year. Florida State gains some momentum in recruiting. Things can really change on a dime when it comes to recruiting. So, you know, while fans mm-hmm. might feel like they're miles away from their team being good again, from Florida State being good again, I think that things can change quickly. Um, not, I'm not saying that they're going to be any good next year, but I mean, in terms of like within the next three to four years. Um, So, yeah, I think there's definitely, um, there's definitely reason for optimism and that's not something that this program has generated a lot of recently. Certainly, certainly. I think that like you just said, there's quite a bit to be optimistic about for both, for both football and basketball. And I think for football, this is, um, a team that sorely needs something to be, to feel pretty good about. So, um, 
I, 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 def- I definitely think there's a lot to look forward to. Um, anything no, else I think that's it. I'm um, looking there? forward to the North Carolina game on Saturday. I think Florida State's going to win. Absolutely. I, I think FSU definitely should have a great shot there. Well, Thomas, again, thank you so much for coming on. This has been another episode of Talk and Chop, the official podcast of the FSU and Florida Flambeau uh, sports section. Uh, you can find our work in the white paper dispensers on campus starting on Mondays each week, or you can always find it online. Thanks for tuning in and tune back in next week. Thank you. <laughs>